Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor of Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode of our podcast, we're finishing up our sermon series called Before You Give Up. And throughout this entire series, we've been talking about lessons that we all need to learn that can help us keep going when we reach a point where we're ready to quit. And let's just be honest here. We all know that we live in a world that can feel like it's filled with overwhelming problems and where we experience personal disappointments and where we get sick and tired of waiting. So it's easy for us to lose hope and reach a point where we want to give up. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about how we can keep hope alive when we reach those points where we want to quit. So let's get right into this episode sermon. So over the last few weeks here at Melbourne Heights, we've been working our way through a series of sermons called Before You Give Up. And throughout the series, what we've been trying to do is help you learn some lessons that can help you keep going when you reach those points in life where you're ready to quit. And if we're being honest with ourselves, it's really important for us to learn because we have to admit that we've all had times in life when we've been ready to give up. We have. We've all had times when we've been ready to give up. Now, you may have felt this way in the aftermath of a national tragedy or a personal tragedy. You may have felt this way after you went through a tough time at work or at home. You may have felt this way in any area or every area in your life, ranging from your personal relationships to your personal finances. But the point is that we have all had these times in life when we've been ready to give up. So we need to learn how we can keep going when we reach these points. But one of the things that we tried to do over the last few weeks is talk a little bit about why we reach these points to begin with, why we have these times in life when we're ready to give up. And we've seen that one of the reasons why we reach these points where we're ready to give up is that we all have these times when we look at the world around us and it seems like the world is filled with problems that are just too big for us to solve. So because the world has these problems that are too big for us to solve, it makes us want to quit. And when you look at the world, there's a ton of problems happening in the world around us, from terrorism to human trafficking, from systemic racism to childhood poverty, from the opioid epidemic to what's going on in our nation now with an epidemic of gun violence. There's just so many problems in this world that feel like they're too big for us to solve. And when we look at these problems and we feel like we can't even start to make a dent into any of them on our own, it makes us feel like we should throw our hands up and give up. But that's not the only reason why we feel, you know, why we reach these points where we feel like we need to give up. We've also experienced it when we've had these moments in life when it feels like everyone else has given up on us. So we're tempted to give up on ourselves as well. That makes us want to quit. When you feel like everybody else doesn't believe in you anymore, it's hard to keep believing in yourself. So maybe you experienced that when you were going through school and it felt like all of your teachers had given up on you because it seemed like you were never going to be able to master a certain subject. Or you may have felt that way when you were trying to get healthier, but nobody believed that you were ever going to be able to stick to an exercise plan or be able to stick with your diet, so you gave up on that altogether. Or maybe you felt that way when you look at all the problems in the world around us and you keep hoping that our political leaders will start doing something about them But because they haven't, you've given up on the political process altogether, which may be why less than 15% of us here in the state of Kentucky voted in our primary election this past week. But when you look at the world around you, when you look at yourself and you feel like everyone has given up on you, it's really easy to want to give up on yourself, too. Or we've all reached a point in our lives where where we've wanted to give up because we've just gotten sick and tired 
of waiting. That's what we talked about last week. But we've had these moments where we've just been sick and tired of waiting for something to happen, so we give up. We get tired of waiting for that promotion to come at work, so we put in our two weeks' notice. We get tired of waiting to see results from our exercise or diet plan, so we give up on that altogether. We get tired of waiting for things to happen, so we just give up on those things, hoping that we can just resign ourselves to it and move on with the rest of our lives. But when we reach those moments where we're sick and tired of waiting, we also reach points where we're ready to give up as well. Now, what you may not have realized over the last few weeks is we've talked about some of these different reasons why we reach a point where we want to give up to begin with, is that even though these three reasons that I just mentioned here sound very, very different, they actually all stem from the same place. All of these reasons stem from having a lack of hope or from losing hope. Now, hope is one of those words that we use a lot, but it's also a word that we never really stop and try to define what it means. So what exactly do we mean when we use the word hope? Because there are some people out there that will tell you that hope is simply about being optimistic. Or other people will tell you that hope is about believing that tomorrow is going to be brighter than today, even if you don't really have any reason to believe that. But that's not what we as followers of Jesus mean when we talk about hope. So what do we mean when we talk about hope? How do we, as followers of Jesus, define hope? Well, as Christians, we define hope as an anticipation that God will fulfill God's promises for us and for the world. Hope is the anticipation that God will fulfill God's promises for us and for our world. So when we lose hope, What that means is that we stop believing that God is going to keep the promises that God has made to us and to our world. And when we reach that point, when we stop believing that God is going to keep his promises to us, then you better believe we feel like giving up. So, if we want to be able to keep going even when we're ready to quit, that means that we also have to be able to keep hope alive. But how do we do that? How do we keep hope alive no matter what situations or circumstances we find ourselves in? Well, to help us answer that question, we're once again going to be looking at the story of Joseph today. We find Joseph's story inside of the book of Genesis. And every week during the series, we've taken a little closer look at part of Joseph's story. Because Joseph has every reason in life to want to give up. He has every reason in life to want to quit. I mean, let's just stop and take a second and kind of recap all of the struggles that Joseph went through in his life. And it all started when he was fairly young with the fact that Joseph's brothers absolutely hated him. Joseph's brothers hated him so much that they threw him into the bottom of a dried-out cistern, essentially a pit, and they were going to leave Joseph there to die. The only reason that Joseph didn't get left in the bottom of that pit to die is because a caravan of slave traders came along And Joseph's brothers figured that, hey, they could at least profit off of their brother's misery. So they pulled him out of the cistern and they sold him to these slave traders. From there, these slave traders took him down to Egypt, about 750 miles from where his family was living, where his family was from. And in Egypt, he was sold as a slave to a man named Potiphar. He spent at least a decade of his life working in Potiphar's household, having to listen to everything that his master commanded him to do. And after 10 years of doing everything that his master wanted him to do, it's not like Potiphar came to his senses, realized that slavery was bad, and decided to free Joseph. 
No, after 10 years of serving as Potiphar's slave, Potiphar's wife comes and lies about Joseph. She falsely accuses him of sexually assaulting her. So after 10 years of being a slave in Potiphar's house, Joseph is thrown into a prison. And when I say that Joseph is thrown into a prison, I don't mean that he's thrown into a place where he has his nice own private cell, comfortable bed he gets to sleep on, and he gets fed three square meals a day. No, when I tell you that Joseph was thrown into a prison, he was thrown into the prison where the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh's enemies, were sent to die. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I had found myself in most of the situations that Joseph found himself in, I don't think there's any way I could have kept hope alive. I mean, I don't think that there was any way that I could have continued to believe that God was going to keep his promises to me when I was sitting down in the bottom of a dried-out pit, waiting to see if my brothers were going to leave me there to die. I don't think that there's any way that I could have continued to believe that God was going to keep his promises to me after I was sold as a slave. I don't think there's any way that I could have continued to believe that God would keep his promises to me while I was rotting away in a jail cell for a crime I didn't commit. But Joseph doesn't give up. Joseph doesn't lose hope. Joseph doesn't quit. But how is that possible? How did Joseph manage to keep hope alive in spite of everything else that he went through? Well, to help us answer that question, I want us to take a closer look at a story from Joseph's life that we usually pass right over. So if you've got a Bible close by, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. And as you're finding it, I just want to help put this story into context for you a little bit more. The story that we're going to read today, it happens long after Joseph was thrown down into the bottom of that cistern by his brothers. It happens long after Joseph was sold to those slave traders and brought down to Egypt. It happens long after Joseph was sold to Potiphar and had been enslaved in his house for at least a decade of his life. It happens after Potiphar's wife falsely accuses Joseph of assaulting her and has Joseph thrown into jail. It happens after Joseph spends years of his life in prison. It happens after Joseph is able to help some of his fellow prisoners interpret some crazy dreams that they were having. And it happens after one of those prisoners remembered a promise he made to Joseph to put in a good word with the Pharaoh on Joseph's behalf. It even happens after Joseph finally gets his opportunity to stand before the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And it happens after the Pharaoh takes a liking to Joseph and becomes so fond of Joseph that he puts him as second in command over all of Egypt. But the story that we're going to look at today, even though it happens after Joseph goes through so many tough times in his life, it gives us a glimpse of how it is that Joseph was able to keep going when he had every reason to quit. It gives us a glimpse of how Joseph was able to keep hope alive. So let's take a look at Genesis chapter 41 together and see what we can learn from Joseph's story. We're to start reading in verse 50. Here's what it says. It says, Before the years of famine came, Joseph had two sons, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. 
The second he named Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my misfortunes. All right, so just to recap what's happened in those couple of verses that we just read. God has now blessed Joseph, and Joseph has been able to achieve a position inside of Pharaoh's court. And because Joseph is now a part of Pharaoh's court, he has been able to, ma- to marry a woman named Aseneth, who is the daughter of one of Pharaoh's priests. And Joseph and Aseneth, they reach a point in their married relationship where it's time for their family to grow. So Aseneth gets pregnant. And after she gets pregnant, Joseph and Aseneth face the same question that parents have been facing for as long as babies have been born. They've got to figure out what they're going to name their kids. Now, I've got to tell you, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when Joseph and Aseneth were talking about baby names in this story. Because I can just picture how all of this plays out in my head. I can imagine Joseph wrapping his arm around his wife and saying, Aseneth, I've got to tell you, I've been thinking a lot about what we should name our baby. And I can imagine her looking back at her husband with a smile on her face and love in her eyes and saying, oh, Joseph, I'm so glad to hear that because I've been thinking a lot about what we should name our baby, too. I even had my mom stop by one of the stores on the Nile because they lived in Egypt. They didn't know that they could buy stuff from Amazon yet. Uh, But I had her stop by one of the stores. I'm glad you got that joke. I was worried. (laughs) But I had her stop by one of the stores on the Nile, and she picked up a, a scroll, a papyrus scroll filled with baby names for us. And I've been going through that, and I've circled some of the names that I like. And I was thinking that maybe we should name our baby something like Ramses or Tutankhamun because those names just sound so royal to me, Joseph. Or if you prefer to name our baby something in Hebrew instead of something in Egyptian, then I got to say, I really like the name Adam because every time I've met someone named Adam, they are an incredible person. (laughs) They are absolutely brilliant and they are so handsome. Now my feelings are hurt because everybody's laughing about that. (laughs) But Joseph looks back over at Aseneth and he says, all of those are great names. I mean, seriously, how could you go wrong with Adam? But those are, all of those are great names. But I already know exactly what we need to name our baby. And then you can see Aseneth get one of those looks in her eyes where she kind of rolls her eyes looking back over at her husband and is thinking, he better not want to name him after some kind of comic book character. But she says, okay, let's hear what you think we should name our baby. And he looks back at his wife and he says, God made me forget. If God made you forget what we should name our baby, then how do you know that's the perfect name for our baby? No, Aseneth, that is the name. God made me forget. Hold on a second here, Joseph. I'm starting to feel like I'm in the middle of some kind of Abbott and Costello bit. So I want to make sure that I'm getting this right. You want us to name our baby, God made me forget. So you're telling me that you expect me to stand at the bottom of our stairs screaming up at our kid 10 years from now saying, saying, God made me forget, it's time to come down for dinner. God made me forget, it's time to clean up your room. Or when we're out playing, when he's out playing Little League sports, we're going to be calling, go, God made me forget, go. She looks back at Joseph and she says, I'm sorry, Joey, that's just not going to work for me. Because seriously, who on earth would want to name their child, God made me forget? 
that's almost as bad as when the former governor of Texas, a guy named Jim Hogg, decided to name his daughter Ima. You need to let that one sink in for just a second. But Joseph looks back at Athena and he says, listen, I know that it sounds crazy, but my mind is made up. This is what I think we need to name our baby. Because every time that we see, say the name of our child, every time that someone else calls the name of our child, I want them to praise God. Because when I found out that you were pregnant, God made me forget about all of the pain, all of the suffering that I've experienced in my life. So when I say the name of our kid, when somebody else says the name of our child, I want God to be celebrated and praised for what he has done for me. Then Asenath looks back over at Joseph. She puts her hand down on his knee, taps it gently and says, well, I can tell this means a lot to you. So I guess we can name our baby God made me forget. But just make me one promise, Joseph. I get to pick out our kid's next name. But we already heard how that one turned out, didn't we? No, Joseph gets to pick out the next baby's name. And what does he name it? God has made me fruitful. Because again, Joseph wants God's name to be praised whenever someone says the name of his children. So what exactly can we learn from this story that's going to help us keep going when we reach these points in our life when we're ready to quit? What can these stories teach us about how we can keep hope alive? Am I telling you that you all need to go out and rename your kids something so that God's name is praised every time you call their name? No, because I don't want to have to deal with a bunch of angry kids or adults after the sermon comes to an end. But what I am telling you is that when you're going through a difficult time in your life, when you're facing something hard, you need to have the same attitude that Joseph had when he was thinking about names for his kids. Because when Joseph was thinking about what they needed to name their children, Joseph couldn't help but be grateful for everything that God had done for him. Joseph was grateful that God had brought him to a point in life where he was able to forget about all of the pain that he went through and experienced throughout his entire life. Joseph was grateful that he reached a point in life where he was able to be fruitful in a place where he had experienced nothing but suffering. Joseph was grateful that God had continued to be with him, that God had never given up on him, that God had always kept his promises to Joseph. And because of that, because Joseph was grateful for everything that God had done, Joseph was also aware that God had constantly been at work in his life, even in the darkest moments that he faced. And because Joseph was aware that God had been working in his life every step of the way, even in life's darkest moments, Joseph was able to continue to believe that God would keep the promises he made to Joseph. Joseph was able to keep hope alive. So if you want to be able to keep going when you reach a point in life where you want to give up, you need to learn from Joseph's story. So before you give up, try being grateful. Before you give up, try being grateful. I mean, if Joseph could be grateful in spite of everything that he faced in life, then we should be able to be grateful no matter what we face in life too. 
But let's just be honest here. We don't really do a great job of being grateful, do we? There's even a story that we find in the New Testament that illustrates exactly what I'm talking about here. The story is found in Luke chapter 17, the biography that Luke writes about Jesus. And this story shows us just how good of a job we do at being grateful. So in Luke chapter 17, we're told, on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with skin diseases approached him. Keeping their distance from him, they raised their voices and said, Jesus, Master, show us mercy. So in this passage, we find out that there are these ten people who have some sort of skin disease. And they call out to Jesus, asking Jesus to show them mercy. And as we keep reading, we're going to see that's exactly what Jesus does. In verse 14, we're told that when Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priest. As they left, they were cleansed. So you have these ten men who want Jesus to show them mercy. And Jesus tells them, that's what he does. He shows them mercy and he sends them on their way. He says, go and show yourselves to the priest. Because that's what these people had to do in order to be deemed clean. And once they were deemed to be clean, they could then rejoin their family. They could rejoin society as a whole. Now, this story doesn't tell us exactly how it happened. But as these people were walking along, it may have been that one of them looked down at the back of his hand where he had had a spot on his skin and it had disappeared. Or maybe when they made it out of town, all of them were just miraculously healed. But one way or another, the point is that all ten of these people are miraculously healed by Jesus. So you have ten people in this story who have been miraculously healed by Jesus. And that means that you have ten people in this story that should be grateful to God for what God has just done in their lives. But as we keep reading in the story, we'll see just how grateful they are. Picking back up in Luke 17, verse 15, we're told, One, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, returned and praised God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus replied, weren't ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? So in this story, Jesus heals ten men. But only one came back to express their gratitude. Only one came back because they were thankful for what God had done for them. So let me ask you this question. If you were one of those ten people that Jesus had healed that day, would you have been like the nine people who just kept on going, who didn't seem to notice what it was that Jesus had done in their lives or they weren't thinking about being grateful for all that God had done for them? Or would you have been like the one who turned around and came back to praise God for what God had done for you? Now, the story gives us really simple statistics here. It tells us the likelihood that most of us would have turned around to go back. And this, the, st the statistics tell us that it's not likely that most of us would have. Nine out of ten of us would have kept on going. That's 90% in case you struggle with math. But nine out of ten of us would have kept on going without even realizing what God had done for us. 
And when that happens, when you fail to notice what God is doing in your life, well, then it's really easy to lose hope. Because when you don't realize what God is doing in your life right now, it's really hard to believe that God's going to keep the promises that he's made to you. But when you're like the other one in the story, when you keep your eyes open so that you can see the work that God is doing in your life, when you're going through tough times, then it's a lot easier to keep hope alive. Because if God is doing things in your life when you're going through these tough times, then you can have confidence that God is always working in your life. You can trust that God is going to keep the promises that he makes for us. You can keep believing. You can keep hope alive. And when you keep hope alive, that's all that it takes to keep going. When you have those times in life where you're ready to quit. So if you want to be able to do that, if you want to be able to keep moving forward, even when you're ready to give up, you can't lose hope. You have to see that God is at work all around you. God is at work within you. God is going to keep the promises that he makes for us all. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this word of prayer, you know that there are moments when all of us lose hope. And God, you know that it happens for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes we lose hope because it feels like the problems in this world are too big to solve. Sometimes we lose hope because it feels like no one else has any hope for us. Sometimes we lose hope because we're tired of waiting to see results, God. But you know that we have these moments where we lose hope. And when we lose hope, God, we stop trusting in you. We stop believing that you're going to do the things that you tell us you will do. And God, when we reach those points, you know that it makes us want to quit. So God, my prayer for everyone who can hear my voice right now is that you open our eyes like the one person in that story in the book of Luke. That one person who saw the work that Jesus did for them, saw the miracle that Jesus performed for him, and went back to praise you. God, we pray that you keep our eyes open like you did for Joseph in the stories that we've read all throughout the series, reminding us that we have so much to be thankful for, even when we're struggling along the way. God, show us the work that you're doing in our lives, in our world, so that we can trust that you are still at work. And God, if you're still at work, even when we're struggling, we know that you will keep your promises to us. So God, help us. Help us to see you at work so that we can keep hope alive. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this sermon has helped you figure out how you can keep hope alive, even when you're at that point where you want to quit. And I hope that you've seen that by maintaining a sense of gratitude and by recognizing God's faithfulness, that you can keep hope alive in the face of whatever adversity you may experience, and that you can also keep going when you're ready to quit. Well, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, this is going to wrap up our series called Before You Give Up. But next week, we're going to be starting into a brand new series called Grow, where we're going to be talking about how we can make sure we're growing in our relationship with God. 
So we hope that you'll come back and join us when our next episode drops. As always, if you subscribe to this podcast, you will that episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. Or you can come and worship with us live on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time on our church website at mhbclouisville.com slash live. We'd love to have you come and join us. But until next time, I hope that you have a great week. I will be praying for you, and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.